I started a new series of messages last Sunday. Uh, since this is the month of prayer, I hope you got that from the announcements where the emphasis this month is on prayer. Prayer is so vitally important, and uh, we uh, appreciate all of you that are praying with us on a daily basis, those in ministry of Jesus, that this is the one thing that they would focus on and ask Him to teach them about. I think the reason for that is probably because they found out real quickly as they followed the ministry of Jesus that the secret behind his great preaching, the secret behind his great teaching, the secret behind the miracles that he performed and all that he did was his prayer life. The gospel writers said often that early in the morning, quite a time before day, Jesus would resort to a secret place of prayer. He would commune with the Heavenly Father. And his disciples wanted to know about that. So Jesus taught them about prayer. And I gave you that first lesson last Sunday morning, which is the Lord's Prayer, as we refer to it in Matthew chapter 6, and it's also recorded in Luke chapter 11. But unfortunately, most people stop there. They think that all that Jesus taught his disciples about prayer was the Lord's Prayer. No, that's just the beginning of what he taught them. If you continue to read in Matthew, you see that there are other things that are connected right with it. In fact, if you, if you read through the Lord's Prayer, when you get to verse 13 where he said, Amen, the very next verse starts with a conjunction that ties it to it. And Jesus taught them the, the uh, importance of forgiveness and, and how to incorporate that into their prayers. So there was more teachings. When you go over to Luke's gospel, you see that as soon as he said amen from his prayer, he was also teaching them about other kinds of prayer. The Lord's prayer is a prayer of petition. In other words, Jesus said, when you have needs and you bring your needs to the Father or to God, you address Him as Father and you present your needs. You remember the Lord's Prayer? In fact, I gave you a little handout last Sunday where you can stick it in your Bible or keep it close to where you pray or have your devotions and look at it because there's a six-point outline from the Lord's Prayer that is very, very important as we pray. Jesus taught him to begin by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he starts the petition. That's the introduction, then the petition. That's the praise and worship, then the needs. Give us this day our daily bread. So when you're coming to God with petitions, prayers of request for your personal life, for your personal needs, you address him as Father. But in the teaching that Jesus gave surrounding this, you've got to keep all this in context because there are three ways that he taught us to approach God. First, we approach him as Father when we are praying prayers of petition. But then he taught them in Luke chapter 11 how to approach the, Father, the God when we are uh, interceding or when we are praying for others. We refer to it as intercessory prayer. And so the title of my message today is Praying for Others. And my text is from Luke 11. I'm going to give you that teaching, beginning at verse 5, 5, 6, 7, and 8, these verses. And he said to them, 
Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is coming on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because of he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, I'm going to come back to this text uh, at the end of my message this morning because I feel like I need some, to lay some groundwork for this so that it makes sense in the context of the teaching of prayer that Jesus gave us when we pray for others. But let me ask, first of all, answer, try to, this question. Why should we pray for others? Now, I want to tell you, if you've been a Christian very long, and if you have a prayer life at all, you know that there are times that we just we feel a need to pray for others. Or maybe we pray for others in response to the fact that other people will ask you to pray for them. Anybody ever had anybody ask you to pray for them? Let me tell you this, it's real easy to say to everybody that asks you to remember them in prayer, yeah, I'll remember you in prayer, and you remember them about, oh, 30 seconds or more until somebody else asks you something, unless you've got something to jot it down or you've got a record device or something, sometimes it's hard to think back and remember everybody. I get away from church on Sunday morning and I try to I try to go back over everybody that came to me and try to remember who it was that asked me to pray for them and what they wanted me to pray for because I, I want to pray for others. And all of us who are in the family of God, we have that need. We feel, sometimes I feel terrific burden to pray for other people at certain uh, particular times. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will bring somebody to mind and you just know that you need to pray for them at that time. You ever had that experience? Um, sure you have. So it's important that we pray for others. But why? And, and the answer to this is very simply because of man's dominion. It's the way God set things up in the beginning for you and for me in our relationship to other people. I'm going to take you back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, when God made man. I want you to look at what he said. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion, there's that word again, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What did man have dominion over? every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, when God made the earth and then he made man in his image, God gave man dominion. He said, you're to rule it. You're to take care of it. You're to till it. You're to, you're to, it, 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 the earth is yours. I want you to take care of it. 
Now, man was given dominion, as I said, over everything. Now, we know that when Adam and Eve sinned, they committed high treason against heaven, and they literally gave dominion over to Satan. But God did not leave it there. I mean, immediately from that moment that God came down and dealt with their sin, God set up a way to regain everything that was lost through the fall. And thank God that our Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary regained for us what the first Adam lost. Anybody glad about that this morning? Say praise the Lord. Amen. Give him praise. He's worthy of it. That's why now the apostle Peter said, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, look at this, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Some people have read that far too quickly and they think that the devil's out there just roaring against them and we don't have any chance. He's going to hunt you down and he's going to get you. No, 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 no. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Can I say this to you this morning? To all of us? Satan can only take advantage of you where you allow him to. Because the greater one now lives inside. If you're saved, if you've been born again, the Lord Jesus lives inside of you, and he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Satan is a defeated foe. He roars. He's still got his roar. But he's a toothless lion. He can't bite you. All he can do is try to scare you. Now, I will tell you this. If you're not careful, he will scare the living daylights out of you. But that's the only weapon he's got left. Praise God. Jesus defeated him, dethroned him. Praise God. Came forth victorious, holding the keys of hell and of death. Ascended back to heaven. Makes intercession for us. We're kings and priests with God through Jesus Christ. Heirs and joint heirs with Jesus and we have dominion on this earth over Satan. Praise God. Praise God. So that's the reason we pray for others. We're exercising our dominion with the Lord when we pray for others. Now, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people ha have they've heard about the sovereignty of God. They've heard that God is almighty and he is. They've heard about his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence. And they think that God can do anything. Now, please listen carefully here. You'll think I'm a heretic. I want to tell you why God cannot do anything. God has the power to do anything. God has the power to do anything he pleases anytime he gets good and ready anywhere he wants to. But there are areas where God limits himself by his word. You understand what I'm saying? 
It's not that he is limited in his ability. He can do anything. He's God. He's almighty. But God has set certain parameters for himself, and he cannot violate those parameters. Because if he did, then he would be speaking a lie. And God is not a man that he can lie. God can't lie. God is truth. Amen? Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way that God can lie. I'll give you an example. When, <clears throat> when God destroyed the earth and all mankind with the exception of Noah and his family with a flood, after that flood, God made a covenant with man. And God said, I will never again destroy all of mankind from the earth with a flood. And he even put a rainbow in the sky. And every time you see a rainbow, that's a reminder of the covenant that God made with man. So I ask you this morning, can God destroy this earth again with a flood? It's not because he doesn't have the power to. If God wanted to, he could open the windows of heaven and, and we could have a flood just as quick right now as they had in Noah's day. But the reason God cannot is because God set a parameter for himself. And God made a promise to man. He said, I will not do this again. So you can count on it. I don't care how many hurricanes come, how many floods come. God will never allow this earth to be destroyed again with water. That's over. Because God has committed himself to it. Well, God has committed himself in a lot of areas. And when God set up the judicial structure, when God gave man dominion, God's not going to violate that dominion. So God has to have a man to work through to accomplish what he wants to in this earth. That's why we're important in the plan of God. Now, God didn't have to do it that way. He could have done it some other way. Maybe you wish he had. But listen, don't you think it's wonderful that the God who created this universe, who sits on the circles of the earth, who is almighty, has chosen to allow you and me as part of his family to work with him on accomplishing what he wants to do in this earth? I mean, what better way to make you feel a part of the family of God than to include you into what he does? That's why we have dominion today. And that's why God invites us in. That's why it's important that we learn to pray for others because when we do, we're partaking with God in accomplishing his will on this earth. And so we need to do that. Let me give you a couple examples from Scripture of intercessory prayer, okay? I'm going to take you to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 to 14. This is when Moses had gone up on the mountain, Sinai, to get the um, Ten Commandments. God met with him in a powerful way. I mean, man, the whole top of that mountain was on fire with the the glory of God, and there was lightnings and thunders, and God spoke directly out of heaven. And uh, man, it was, a, it was a marvelous thing that God did when God wrote on the tablets of stone the Ten Commandments 
and gave them to Moses. But while Moses was up there on that mountain, the children of God, the children of Israel, started sinning down below. And they actually went into idolatry. They made a molten calf and bowed down and worshiped that molten calf. But I want you to look at this conversation with God and with Moses. Remember, when we come with intercession, we approach God as what? Friend. Say friend. Friend. God is our, there, there's, there's a, this is different from petitions. When you come with your petition, you approach him as father. He's your father in heaven. You seek for him to give you those things that you have need of. But when you're praying for others, you're a friend dealing with a friend for a friend. And he says, come to me as a friend. And you'll see, you'll see the beauty of this in this prayer that God and Moses uh, engaged in here in Exodus chapter 32. Let me read it to you. I, I want you to notice that <clears throat> they uh, unfortunately didn't get these um, pronouns underlined, but I want you to notice them. I'll, I'll emphasize them when I come to them because <laughs> it's amusing to me. How many of you know there's humor in the Bible? Sure there is. Don't be so solemn when you read the Bible. Get out of the King James Version. I, I love the King James. I memorize most of the scripture that I know from the King James, but, but sometimes the these and thous and will we'll get you to where you, you, you're not even reading it like it's... God is a personal God. Amen? And there's times that God wants to deal with us as a friend. Remember that Abraham was called the what of God? The friend of God. Say friend again. He was a friend. When, when God sent an angel down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, God said, can I do this without telling my friend what I'm about to do? And so he shared with Abraham what he was about to do. And you know what Abraham did. That's why he's called a Jew. He started bargaining with God. He said, wait a minute, God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before you destroy that place, what if you can find 50 righteous men there? And then he got him down to 40. Then he got him down to 30. Then he got him down to 20. And he got him down to 10. My goodness. We need Abraham at the World Bank to deal with the interest rates. Amen. He'd chew them right on down. But God said, He's my friend. When you really know God, listen, folks, God wants to be in a personal relationship with you. That's what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions of the world. No other religion. In fact, there are religions that would absolutely be horrified if you were to say that, that um, or ask them the question, are you a friend of your God? They said, no, no, there's no such place. Uh, read the Koran. There's no place to be on a friendship basis with Allah. It just doesn't exist. And, 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 a, and a dedicated, committed Muslim that knows his scriptures will let you know, no, there's no, he doesn't have a son either. Um, <clears throat> our God can have a friendship relationship with us because he loves us that much. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And he does have a son and his name's Jesus. And he's got some other sons. I'm looking at them this morning. He's got some daughters too. I'm looking at them this morning. Amen. Give him praise. Do you love the Lord? 
Well, let, let, let me get back to the scripture. I'll read this and see the humor in it, if you will. And the Lord, now this is God speaking. The Lord said to Moses, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone. This is God speaking to Moses. Moses, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. You see what God is saying here to Moses? He said, Moses, that bunch of people, and notice what God says here, your people that you brought up out of the land of Egypt. He's talking to Moses. They're a stiff-necked bunch. Boy, God was aggravated with them, wasn't he? And he said, I tell you what I'm going to do, Moses. You just let me alone. You just stay out of my way. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say a thing. And I'll wipe this whole nation out and let me sweeten the pot for you. I'll raise up another nation with your children and I'll make you the head honcho. Some of us might have accepted that deal. <laughs> Not Moses. Not Moses. What's Moses' reply? I love this. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people? What God called them a while ago to Moses? Call them his people. Moses responded, he said, why does, why does your wrath burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them and to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And the la all this land that I have spoken of I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to the people. I, I love that conversation between Moses. And, I, to me, it's humorous. I, I just, it's funny. God said, Moses, your people that you led out of Egypt. And Moses said, God, your people that you led out of Egypt. <laughs> Who's right? Both of them. God's obviously the one, but he used Moses to be the leader. But Moses stood. Here's the thing. God had a legal right to be angry to the point of destroying. God would have been just in destroying the children of Israel for the sins that they had just committed. Here God had performed ten miracles in Egypt to bring them out. God had split the Red Sea and brought them across. God had brought them to this holy mountain and displayed His glory in the Mount of Sinai and given the Ten Commandments. 
And this stiff-necked bunch of people wanted to worship a golden calf. God has a right to be insulted, but he's looking for a man to intercede for the people. And Moses was that man. And Moses interceded. In fact, I don't have time to go into all of it this morning, but if you'll study this on out, you'll find that Moses actually, he actually said this to God. He said, God, if you're going to wipe them out, then wipe me out too. Boy, you're talking about intercession. He stood between God and the people, and he said, God, if you're going to wipe them out, then wipe me out too. He interceded for them, and God spared them. Praise God. Jesus interceded for you. And that's why God has spared you. Jesus interceded for me. Do, do, do you, you have any idea where I'd be this morning if I had what I deserved before I came to Jesus? I'd be dead and in hell, and so would you. There's none among us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know who interceded for us? Jesus. Jesus interceded for us, and God had mercy on us through his grace and brought us into his wonderful family and washed away all of our sins and wrote our name on the Lamb's Book of Life. Glory to God. We ought to be a shouting bunch of people this morning. Let me, let me give you another example from Scripture. This is from a different point of view. It's in Ezekiel chapter 22, 29 to 31. The people of the land have used oppressions. They've committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy. They have wrongly oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Do you see what God's saying here in Ezekiel? He said, Ezekiel, the people have oppressed. The people have been, uh, they, they've been horrible. They've mistreated the poor. They've taken advantage of people. And, and he said, my wrath is burnt. But, but God said, I wish. I wish. I've given man dominion over the earth. I wish I could find. God said, I've actually looked for somebody who would stand in the gap, make up the hedge, and would plead with me and intercede for the people. Because here's the thing, folks. God has a system of justice, and God is a righteous judge, and God will not violate his justice and his judgment unless he has just cause to do so. And God said to Ezekiel, if, if somebody would intercede for these people, I would have a right to say, because of the intercession of the people, I'm going to back off of my wrath and give them another chance. Do you see this why your prayers are so important? Do you see this morning why the enemy wants to discourage you when you pray, wants to keep you from praying, doesn't want you to pray for others, wants to make you think it's no use, make, it, make you think that you're wasting your time? 
That gives us a false doctrine that, that God is sovereign and God will just do whatever God pleases to do anytime God gets good and ready. No, 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 no. God's desire is that all should be saved and God is looking for a just cause to back off from judgment and extend his mercy and his grace. And he uses us to do that as intercessors. Praise God. Your prayers are important. They're important to God. Well, I must hurry on, and you're going you're gonna to understand this a lot better in the next few weeks because for the next few weeks I'm going to be talking to you about the judicial system of God in the courtroom of heaven where our prayers are petitioned, where our intercession goes up, and where we deal with God as a judge in the court of heaven, and how the enemy comes as a lawyer to withstand us and stand against us like he did with Job, and how we overcome and get our petitions before God and get our prayers answered. Anybody interested in that? I'll see you here next Sunday. Amen. But let me, let me, let me hurry on. I want to give you the second point of my message this morning. The reason we pray prayers of intercession is because our prayers are effective. Our prayers are effective. Let me take you to 2 Thessalonians 3 1. Here's what Paul said. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. This is the Apostle Paul. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, pray for us. Why would Paul want them to pray for him? Because he knew their prayers were effective. He said, pray for us. It'll make it easier for us. God will answer. God will, <clears throat> God will have a reason to break down barriers and break down strongholds because of your prayers and your intercession. Pray for us, would you please? Here's what the Apostle James said in chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Pray, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Your prayers avail much. Make sure your neighbor gets that point. Turn and say, your prayers are important. Amen. Turn to the neighbor on the other side. Make sure they get it too. Tell them your prayers are important. It's important that we pray for one another, church. It's important that we pray for one another. Don't take this lightly. It's effective when we pray. He said that fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, makes a difference. If you don't think it makes a difference, I started to say wait and see, but I don't want you to wait and see. But there's going to be some people who are going to see when the church is raptured out of this earth, the Antichrist is going to take over. You know why the Antichrist can't take over right now? Because of your prayers. Praise God. You know what's holding back? Did you know the United States of America would be destroyed in 10 minutes if Satan could have his way? But he can't. You know why? Because you're praying. We got brothers and sisters all over this nation today that are praying. Amen. 
We're praying. We're praying. In fact, I hope there's enough prayer to bombard heaven that will cause us to have another great awakening before Jesus comes. Amen? Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Right after James gives us that admonition of prayer and says that your prayers are effective, he gives an example. He holds up Elijah. He said, you know, Elijah, you, you guys think he was a, some kind of special guy. No, he wasn't. He's a man just like you are. But he prayed earnestly. His prayer was so effective, he was able to lock the heavens from rain until the people repented. And then he was able to unlock them and give uh, water for the crops and everything to flourish again. Boy, that's, that's favor in prayer, wouldn't you say? But he, had, he was interceding on behalf of the people to bring them back to God and we can do that. Now, in this teaching on prayer, I told you I'd come back to my text, so let me read my text again because here's my last point, and I'll bring this to a close. Prayer for others requires patience and persistence. Prayer for others requires patience and persistence. Let me read my text again. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? Go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me in his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not disturb me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you that though he would not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. Now, when he said all the kids are in bed with me, I don't mean all of them were sleeping in one bed. What it meant was in those days they had one room where everybody slept. And there may have been some over here on a pallet, and there may have been some over here on a blanket, and, and, and some on a, a, a little couch about this high off the ground, what, whatever. But they were all, you, you could say, they're with me here in bed. In other words, he said, if, if I, do, you, do you not realize what time it is? Past midnight, good night. My kids are all asleep. If I get up and get stirring around, I'm going to wake the whole family up. And, and you, you don't want to do that. But... You, you'll, you'll insist with a friend, won't you? you you'll, go, you'll, you'll just go on with a friend. You'll, you'll ask a friend for something and, and, and be persistent where you wouldn't with, with somebody that you didn't know that well. And so this, this person just keeps saying, he said, well, I, I'm sorry. I hate everybody's in bed and I hate everybody's asleep. But you just don't understand what a predicament I am. I've got a friend over here that's hungry. He's interceding for a friend. I've got a friend that's hungry. I don't have anything to set before him. And I know you got some food in there in the cupboard. I was over at your house last night, and you were showing me that big new loaf of bread that you just baked. I want some of that. And he wound up getting it because he was persistent. By the way, if you read verses 9 and 10 in chapter 11 of Luke, this is where you find this passage. So I say to you, so I say to you, you see Jesus is tying this in with, with this intercessory prayer. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it shall be opened. All three of those verbs is in the continuous sense. It, <clears throat> we would do no violence to this scripture to say, ask and keep on asking, and you'll receive. Seek and keep on seeking, and you'll find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Now, let me explain something here. 
The reason in intercessory prayer there is the necessity of patience and persistence is because, remember, again, you're praying in behalf of somebody else to create circumstances that will be a blessing to them. If you're, if you're praying concerning an inanimate object, you can get an instant prayer requ- uh, received and answer to prayer just like that. For example, let's say, and I've seen this happen, by the way. Let's say you're riding down the road. I, I, I was with my pastor years ago. I was running a revival in Siler City, North Carolina, and his car ran out of gas. Evidently, his gas gauge was wrong. And we were in the middle of nowhere, and, and I had to get there to preach. And he, we just prayed, and God just supernaturally took care of things. Now, instantly, car ran out of gas. We got no gas. Pray. All of a sudden, car starts up. We go on down the road, and we get to where we're going. That's an inanimate object. There was nothing in the way for God to answer that prayer. Nobody had to be dealt with. When you pray about people, God regards and respects everybody's will. You have a will. Amen? Um, If I pray this morning and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, I want Brother Bernard to give me $100,000. It's going to take God a little while. (laughs) A long while, as Brother Bernard said, for God to set that up. Now, is that impossible? Absolutely not. He could come into an inheritance that he totally didn't know anything about. Somebody that maybe he witnessed to somewhere down the road. Let me, let me tell you, when we, were, when we were praying for God to give us the money to buy this place, we received a check from somebody that died in Atlanta, a large check from somebody that died in Atlanta that not a person on our staff, not a person on our board, I couldn't find anybody in the church that even knew them. But the note said that they had come through Augusta on an occasion and came to our church. And God blessed them at our church that morning, and they remembered us in their will. Amen. So if you're a visitor this morning, see what can happen. No, no. What I'm saying is, if, if I had given that serious request to the Lord, God could do it. Brother, Brother Bernard could inherit something he'd never dreamed of into the millions. And God could speak to him and say, I want you to, I want you to give a certain amount over here to, to the pastor. That's possible. But that's going to take some time. Because God's not going to violate his will. God's not going to, God's not going to jerk him up by the hair of the head and shake the money out of his pocket. And you, you, we're, you're dealing with people. So God says, when you're doing intercessory prayer, be patient, but be persistent. Now, here's why the persistence. Because 
if you're not persistent, if you give up, if you quit, then Satan can go before God with a case against you and say, see God, you got no right to answer that prayer. They, they're not asking in faith. And you said that we have to ask in faith. They've already give up. They don't have faith to believe that that's going to happen. That's one reason I'm not going to pray that prayer this morning about Brother Bernard, because I don't have any faith that that's going to happen. <laughs> and so we're not going to bother God with that. We'll just let God take care of things whatever way he wants to take care of them. But, but what I'm saying to you, that do you under, does this make sense? Do you understand when you're dealing with people, you've got to be patient, but be persistent. Don't give up. Some of you are sitting here this morning and the devil is keeping you from getting your prayers answered because he's gotten you discouraged. He's convinced you that there's no reason to keep praying. He's convinced you that it's not going to happen. He's got you in doubt instead of faith. And I've come along this morning to tell you that it's time to get up and regain and recapture some of those prayers that you've been asking God for in behalf of your mother and your daddy or your brother or your sister or your son or your daughter or your family member or your friend or your relative or your neighbor, whoever it is, don't give up on the verge of a miracle. Be persistent. Ask and keep on asking. Pray God. Stand with me, please. I'm, I'm getting carried away here. I'm, I wish that publishing companies would not revise the history of our nation and take away our faith out of the history books from our children because America was built on prayer. Let me give you one story that was in the original history books of American history. It was concerning George Washington when he was at Valley Forge. One day a farmer approached the camp where his soldiers were bedded down. And this farmer saw George Washington and heard him praying. And he went home and he said to his wife, and his wife's name was Hannah, he said, Hannah, Hannah, George Washington will surely prevail. George Washington will surely be successful. And Hannah said to him, his name was Isaac, said, Isaac, how do you know? She said, Hannah, I saw General Washington this morning early in the woods on his knees. And I saw his face wet with tears. And I heard him crying out to God. He said, Hannah, he will surely succeed. America will gain its independence. I heard the man George Washington pray. I want to tell you, our nation was founded on that kind of prayer. When they were trying to get our Constitution together, they ran into an impasse and, and nothing was falling in place. And Benjamin Franklin stood up and halted everything and said, the reason there's all this confusion is because we don't have the mind of God. And he called the whole Constitutional Congress together on their knees and they prayed until the Spirit of God filled the room and they wrote the Constitution and signed it and we became a nation. Oh, glory to God.
Prayer is important, church. Prayer is important. Prayer is valuable. Don't you give up on your prayers. Don't you let the devil discourage you in your prayers. Don't you get weary in well-doing. The Bible said in due season. Some of you are right at the verge of your due season. You're right on the cusp of your due season. In fact, I'm here to declare for some of you this morning, it is due season. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. If there's someone or something that you've been praying about for a long time and you've gotten a little discouraged and you want to renew that fervency in prayer I want you to come forward and stand here and let's pray together at this altar this morning preacher I, I'm, I'm going to get this prayer back before God I'm, I'm going to intercede again I, I'm going to get more serious about this I'm not going to give up on my children I am not going to give up on my family I am not going to give up on my neighbor I am not going to give up I'm not going to let the enemy discourage me this morning I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring this back before the Lord and I'm going to renew my fervency in prayer. And I'm going to be persistent until I get my breakthrough. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Come on, all over the building. There's something you're praying for. You need God to answer today. We're going to pray together right here. While we're praying, let me tell you. If you're unsaved, you can pray with us right now and open your heart to God and ask Him to forgive your sins. He'll wash them away. Write your name on the Lamb's book of life and you'll be a child of God. God wants all of us to participate with him in his kingdom. I read to you last Sunday the verse of scripture that says it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to work with you. He wants us to be a part of this. Glory to God. Begin to lift those prayers up right now. Begin to lift those prayers up right now. Just, just lift them up to the Lord. Just lift them up to the Lord. Lift them up to the Lord. Father, right now, we just come together. All over this congregation, especially those that are standing here at the front or kneeling here at the front. Lord, we just lift these prayer requests to you. We intercede in behalf of that loved one. We intercede in behalf of that need, that situation, those circumstances. Lord, we determine today that we're not going to give up, that we're going to keep pressing through until we get a breakthrough. By faith this morning, we thank you in advance that we have a breakthrough in Jesus today. Now give him praise all over the building. Praise the Lord. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I stand here as a living witness this morning of answer to intercessory prayer. I've told you my testimony many times, but I want to tell you, when the doctors told my family that he cannot live, and if he does, he'll be a vegetable, my little church had joined my mom and dad standing outside the operating room. They were interceding to God. Finally, my daddy looked up at the Lord, and he said, God, if you want my son, you can have him. But if you'll be pleased to leave him with us, I want you to heal him. And I'll give him to you as long as he lives. God heal me. Praise God. God heal. Somebody was praying. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody prayed for you.
Let's stand in the gap for others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.